Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. All right, today we are wrapping up this message series, Tying the Knot, by talking about keeping the components of family life in the right order. Because here's the thing, if they ever get out of order, then it causes problems in the family as well as in marriage. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Um, I'm at the place in life where I do a lot of seventh grade math. Okay, I have a seventh grade daughter, she needs help in math. I do a lot of seventh grade math. And so, um, and some of it's actually fairly complicated. Um, they are doing uh, some pretty long equations right now. We've been, you know, been working on you know, figuring out compound interest. And here's the thing about seventh grade math is that there's an order to things. And if you get it out of order, it gets messed up, okay? So let me explain, and in case it's been a while since you've done seventh grade math, I'll go slow, all right? So <laughs> that there, there's this order of operations that you just have to know. So when you have a long equation, you've gotta do all the stuff that's in parentheses first, and then anything that has an exponent, you gotta do that next, and then all of the multiplication and division pieces, and then finally all of the addition subtraction parts. If you ever get any of that out of, the, out of order, you, you might actually be doing the, the math correctly, but you will get the wrong outcome. In the very same way, God has given us the priorities that we are to have in marriage and in family life. And if we ever get those priorities out of order, it causes problems, okay? Now, the very first priority has to be God as number one, okay? So don't ever hear me say anything other than that. In fact, we talked about that in week one of this series, making God number one in our marriage. Um, but then what are the priorities of the, what are the other, what should be the priority of the other components of family life? You know, like, like kids. I mean, as wonderful as kids are, like, they don't make marriage better, right? <laughs> like, and career, like, career causes stress in marriage, even when the career's going great or whether it's going south. I mean, it brings some stress and strain to marriage. So, like, after God, like, what should be the top priority in marriage and in family life? Because here's the thing, again, if we get these components out of order. We might be doing the math right. That means we might be doing the individual components of marriage and family life right, but we will still get the wrong outcome. Quick word to those that are single, okay? If you're single and one day you want to be married, you need to make sure that you get these priorities that we're talking about today, that you get them in the right order now, because if you get, if you don't have them in the right order now, I'm telling you, it's not going to like magically happen and correct itself once you get married. You will take those messed up priorities into your new marriage and mess it up. So you need to make sure that you have these things in the right order now. And for those that are listening today where that marriage is nowhere on the radar, okay, 
You need to make sure you have these things in the right order because they make all of family life, whether it's immediate family or extended family, go smoother. And yes, while there'll be some things that we talk about today that maybe don't fit your exact stage of life, get this, all of the underlying principles do. So this is for you as well. And for those that are listening today that are not Christ followers, or, and maybe it's something you've been thinking about doing, I'm going to tell you, please make the decision to become a Christ follower today. Do that today. Because everything that we're talking about, God has designed to help our marriage and family lives go better if God is number one in our lives. But God can't be number one in your life until you have asked God to become a part of your life. And you do that by asking his son, Jesus Christ, to come into your heart to forgive you and then pledge to follow him as best you can from that day forward. So look, if you've never done that, there's a sample prayer on the back of your message notes. It's at the bottom. Take a moment. Pray that now. Pray it today. But become a Christ follower because that will change everything for you. Okay. So let's go through some different examples of different families in the Bible. And through those examples, God is going to show us the right ways and the wrong ways of putting these components of family life in order. So today we're going to look at three different families who put these components in three different orders, and they all get three different outcomes. Now, you need to understand this. We're going to go through a lot of Bible today. So, you, uh, I, and I wasn't able to print it all. We just don't have space. So, follow along closely because I don't want to lose you along the way. Okay? So, go ahead and pull out your message notes because what God's day is going to show us is going to be amazing. So, three families in the Bible, each with different priorities and the outcomes. Okay? Here's family number one. Family number one, their priority was this, is that after God, kids are the top priority. So that family, their kids, top priority, first and foremost. Now this family, the parents, were named um, Isaac and Rebekah. And they had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Isaac and Rebekah, they decide that their kids are the most important thing. And they prioritize their kids over their marriage. And how do we know this? Because they had favorites. Look what the Bible says. In Genesis 25, verse 27, it says this. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, that's the dad who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah, the mom, loved Jacob. So here's what happens. And listen, you really need to go and read this for yourself. It's, it starts in chapter 25 and goes through chapter 33 of Genesis. But here's the thing. The firstborn son, Esau, um, he's, he's like this really big, strong guy who likes wild game and likes to hunt. And he's his father's favorite. But Jacob, the younger, gentler son, is his mama's favorite. Okay, now look. Now, there's nothing wrong with having 
two kids that have different interests. I mean, look, because if you have kids, like you know, no two kids are the same, right? They're all, di- they're all different. But these parents put their kids above everything, including their marriage. In fact, they don't just put their kids above their marriage, they put their favorite kid above their marriage. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, right? So, yeah, so here's what happens, okay? Isaac, the dad, grows old, and he's, he's nearing the end of his life, and, like, he can't see very well anymore, and he knows that he's about to die, so he decides that he's going to go ahead and divide the inheritance among his two sons. Now, the custom of that day was not to divide the inheritance equally among all the kids. That's just not what they did. What they would do is they would take the older son would get twice as much as any other single kid. And so that's what Esau, I mean, I'm sorry, that's what Isaac was about to do. Well, the wife, Rebecca, gets wind that that's what her husband's going to do and is going to give most of the inheritance to the, his favorite son, Esau. So she wants her son, Jacob, to get that instead. And so she plans a ruse. And so here's what she does. She gets Jacob, while Esau is off hunting his father's favorite game for, you know, kind of like this final inheritance meal, um, the mom gets Jacob and, sa- and get, tells Jacob to go, you know, pull some, you know, old meat out of the freezer, you know, or, you know, where, whatever it is they kept it that, that day. So, pulls some meat out of the freezer, gets him to fix it just like his brother would fix it. Um, dresses him up just like his brother in his brother's clothes and goes into his dad pretending to be Esau, the older brother, fools the dad, and the dad gives the double inheritance portion to the younger son, Jacob, instead. Yeah. Well, Esau comes back from his hunt, finds out what happens, And he is so angry that Jacob, the younger son, fears for his life and flees. Like he leaves and flees for his life. And Jacob, I mean the older son Esau, however, is still harboring resentment at Jacob right after his father dies. Look what the Bible says in Genesis 27 verse 41. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So get this, Jacob remains estranged from his brother for more than 20 years. 20 years! I, look, here's the thing, when parents, when parents put their kids in front of their marriage, when parents make the kids the top priority, you know, whether they play favorites or not, the potential result is the same. And, and I say potential result because, look, it's not a guaranteed outcome because, look, God can fix anything. God can heal anything. But for the most part, God is warning us that if we're not careful, that this is the potential result that could happen. This is your fill-in. Here's the potential result. That we have self-centered kids and unestranged marriage. When we put kids first, we end up with self-centered kids and an estranged marriage. Because look, each of the kids, they were only concerned with the size of their inheritance. Now, 
Where do you think they learned to be that self-centered? Yeah, from their parents. See, they grew up in a home where the kids, the kids were the top priority. And as a result, those kids thought that they were the center of everything. Because they had been for their whole lives. And the result, they didn't talk to each other for 20 years. 20 years. Now, think about the parents. Think about Isaac and Rebecca. What kind of a marriage do you think they had if she as the mom was willing to trick her husband to essentially rewrite the will so that her favorite son got the most? Yeah, I'm pretty confident that they weren't leading many marriage seminars on the weekends, you know? And if they weren't estranged before, I can promise you they were estranged after this, you know, inheritance heist. So what God is saying, he's warning us that when we put kids first, there is great potential to have self-centered kids and estranged marriages. Now, here's the thing. Most people that put their kids first, they don't really think they're really putting their kids first. They, they, They don't really see it. So I've come up with basically a short five-question quiz to help us self-diagnose to see if this is something that we need some work on. So I'm going to just read the questions. They're there in your worship guide. I'm going to read these questions, and you just answer them in your mind, okay? Here's the first one. Do you spend five times as much or more on kid activities in a month than you do on date nights in a month. Number two, do you ever take vacations or weekends away with just your spouse, or are the kids always included? Number three, do you talk about future plans without kids, or just plans for your kid's future? Number four, when you're out on a date with your spouse, do you talk about topics other than your kids? And number five, do you trust what your kids say over what your spouse says? So look, here's the thing. If you answered yes to any of those questions, that means that you've got some work to do in this area. So make a commitment to God that you will begin to align things differently in your family. Okay? All right. Family number two. Family number two says that after God, career is the top priority. After God, career is the top priority. And so it doesn't matter whether that's the man's career or the woman's career, doesn't make any difference, but basically career is the top priority. And the family that we're going to look at is the family of King David, and the part of his life that we're going to look at is found in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15. Now, again, I didn't have space to print all that in the bulletin, so let me just tell you what happens, and you can go read it on your own. Um, In the early days of David's reign, he marries a lady named Maacah, okay? Now, Maacah has a son from David named Absalom. You've probably heard of him before. And now look, David devoted an enormous amount of energy to being the king, basically his career. And David was the greatest king that Israel has ever seen. But he wasn't a particularly good dad. For instance, 
Many years later, when Absalom was older, Absalom's full-blooded sister is raped by one of the other king's sons that David had through one of his other wives. Okay, yeah, I know, like, that is totally messed up on so many levels, I get it, but just don't worry about that, just go with me with the, the point of this story at this time, okay? So, Absalom is furious, and so he goes and tells the king, and the king is furious as well. But David the king does nothing. In fact, David and Absalom don't even talk for seven more years. Seven years! And so finally, David's most trusted general thinks, you know, this, this estrangement has gone on way too long. And so he tries to get to the king to tell him about it, but the king is so busy that the general has to come up with a fake court case that's so complicated that only David could render a verdict. And through that court case, the general finally gets through to David to tell him that you need to make things right with your son Absalom. Get this, the only way that David could be reached was through his work. He couldn't, nobody could get to him any other way. So look, it's clear, David worked way, way too much. Now, here's the potential result. Here's what you need to write down. The potential result is that kids and spouse become strangers. It's that my kids and spouse become strangers. Because look, no, look get this. There's, like, there's nothing wrong with working hard, okay? God honors hard work. But through the family of David, God warns you that working too much, putting your work above your marriage and your kids only results in them becoming strangers. Because get this, when David put his work above his son, his son became a stranger to him. They didn't talk for seven years. And furthermore, get this, his wife, Maacah, you know why you've never heard of her? Because David never says a thing about her, ever. And it's a few years after he marries Maacah that David has an affair with a lady named Bathsheba. Now, I'm not saying that David had an affair because he was working too much. But what I am saying is that David and Maacah were not very close. Or at least there is nothing in the Bible that would lead us to believe that they were. Essentially because David put so much into being king that even he was a stranger to his wife. That was the result. And so look, none of us want a marriage or a family that looks like that. I mean, look, if, if you did, you wouldn't be here today. So what's the solution? The solution is found in family number three. In family number three, after God, marriage is the top priority. After God, marriage is the top priority. That's what it's supposed to look like. So let's look at um, marriage of Solomon 
and the Shulamite woman. Now, their story is found in a book of the Bible called the Song of Songs, or some translations call it the Song of Solomon. Um, But the truth is, this book's actually really hard to read because it's written as an epic, romantic poem, and it's filled with cultural references that were relevant in their day, but don't really translate into our culture of our day. But in this book, we find that Solomon, who's the king, has an incredible marriage with this Shulamite woman. And they put, after God, they put their marriage number one. So let's look at what happens in chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. It says this, it says, come, my lover, let's go to the countryside. Let's spend the night in the villages. Okay, now hold on. This is the woman talking, this is the wife talking, and they're married at this time. And she's basically saying to her husband, she's saying, hey, baby, how about we go away for the weekend? I mean, that's what she's saying. So let's go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. Basically, she's saying, and by the way, let's go someplace romantic, okay? Let's not go to Luling and, and, and visit Bucky's, okay? Let's, let's set the sights a little higher than that. That's what, I mean, that's what she's saying here. And then get this, and she says, there I will give you my love. Hubba hubba, right? I mean, I'm just saying, I just deliver the message. I don't write this stuff, okay? And then she says this. She says, the mandrakes send out their fragrance. Okay, now this is a reference that, like, we don't understand in our culture, but I'm telling you, it would have spoken loud and clear in their culture because a mandrake was a plant that was thought to dramatically increase your chances of having a baby, yeah, did you ever see the movie The Proposal with Sandra Bullock? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, remember in that movie, they had a blanket, it's called The Baby Maker? Mandrakes, same thing, okay? So she continues and she says, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover. So look, here's the thing. Although Solomon has a ton of obligations and tons to do as the king, He prioritizes his marriage. And by the way, we don't know whether she's got kids yet or not, but look, it's clear that she prioritizes her marriage because, like, we get the impression that this isn't their first Mandrake weekend, all right? And it's probably not going to be their last. So they were putting their marriage as their top priority after God. Look, they got the order of operations right when it comes to to marriage and family life. And so what's the result? This is what you need to write down. The result is this. The result is closeness in my marriage that lasts a lifetime. Closeness that lasts a lifetime. Look, by the way, isn't that the goal of marriage anyway? Not just that it lasts a lifetime, but that we're close for a lifetime. But look, for that to happen, you have to do what Solomon and his wife did. You've got to invest some time. So get this, I I have one question that has four parts, and here it is, okay? What am I doing to invest in my marriage daily, weekly, monthly, annually? What am I doing, okay? Let me give you a few ideas here, and remember, single people, like you need to make a commitment 
now that you will do these things when you get married. Because if you don't, it won't just like magically happen, okay? So daily, have you already told your spouse today that you love him or her? Have you already told them that? Amy, my wife, is a master at daily reinforcing this part of our marriage. Like almost every day, some random time during the day, she'll send me a text, you know, with a little heart on or a little, little smiley face hearts, a little, you know, heart emoji type things, just telling me, and she just tells me that she loves me. And then, you know, I'll zip her another text right back, and I'm telling you, just that little daily reinforcement, I'm telling you, it helps us stay close in our marriage and keep our marriage as the top priority after a relationship with God. So it doesn't have to necessarily be anything big, but what do you do daily to put your marriage first after a relationship with God? Okay, second thing is weekly. Weekly, what do you do? You know, I was really thinking about this, and I was praying about this, like, okay, God, like, what is it that Amy and I do weekly? And what I realized is that one of the things that helps us grow is to grow closer together is going to small group every week. And, and I realized that not every couple can go to small group together, but if you can, it's a really, really good idea, and it has great benefit to your marriage. Because first off, it gives you some car time together. You know, if you're traveling without kids, it gives you some car time together that you just have with one another just to be with each other. Secondly, it gives you an opportunity to make friends with other couples in that small group, and then it gives you an opportunity to go out with those other couples and do couple things and you know, build some memories like that as a couple. Third, it gives you a spiritual connecting point because you're studying those spiritual things in small group together, and it gives you something spiritual to talk about by keeping God number one, and that begins to wed and bind your hearts and souls that much more together. And all those come from going to small group as a couple. Now look, if you're newer here to Parkway Fellowship, and maybe you missed the sign up for small group in the spring semester, I've got some good news for you, because today... At 5.30, we're going to have a small group connect event. It's, it's at the West Park campus. So if you miss signups, come today, 5.30, at the West Park campus, and there you can meet your leaders, you can meet some other people, and you can sign up to be a part of a small group, and then you will finish out the semester together. I mean, I'll tell you, it's a really, really good idea. All right, third, monthly. What are you doing monthly? Now, I've talked about this many times before, but... At least once a month, you ought to go on a date night with your spouse. You ought to go on a date night. Now, Amy and I, we first started, we tried to do this like once a week. We, we just couldn't do it. We just didn't have the margin in our schedule. So we schedule it once a month. And yes, there's a few months when something happens and like we're not able to do it. But pretty much every month, we go on a date night. And, and look, and if budget is an issue for you, like I get it. Find another couple and y'all do a, like a date swap night where you, you'll take care of their kids while they go out. They'll take care of yours when you go out on a different night. And it works. You can save a ton of money like that. And you don't even have to go do something expensive. But just go spend some time together every month, just the two of you. Then the last one is annually. What are you doing annually? My biggest suggestion here is to make sure that you get away, just the two of you, okay? 
Look, and here's the thing. If you're not married, make a commitment that you'll do this whenever you do get married. So look, whether you take a vacation or whether you just, you know, take a long weekend together or even do a marriage retreat, just something that you need to do annually. And I know your pushback is like, oh yeah, but Pastor Mike, like I want my kids to have all these great experiences too. Well, you know what? The greatest experience that you can give your kids is a marriage that's healthy and loving and committed and in the right order of priority that God says it should be to make family life work. That is the greatest experience that you could give your kids. So let me, let me wrap up this series by just saying this. God wants to tie the knot in your marriage so tightly that it does not come undone. But in order to do that, you have to do some things to not untie the knot yourself. And the things that we need to do are that we need to be committed to making God a big part of our married life. And we talked about that in week one of this series. Next, we need to communicate in a very godly way. And we talked about that in this series. We need to make sure that we stay pure before marriage and during marriage. And then finally, we need to make sure that we, need, we keep our marriage as the top priority after a relationship with God. I'm telling you, if we do that, God will use all of those things to tie a knot that cannot come undone. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for, thank you for this series. God, and how it's, you know, been a, been a heart check for me to make sure that the things that, we're, that you want Amy and I to do, that we're doing, and that they're in the right order. And so I pray for every married couple here that you, listening today that you would do the same for them. And Heavenly Father, I pray for all those that are single that one day want to be married, that you will help them take your truths and these principles and put as many of them into practice as they can now so that their marriage is that much healthier when they get started. And for those where marriage is nowhere on the radar, God, I ask that you would take all of these underlying principles in this entire series and use them to make their family life, whether it's immediate or extended family, that much better, stronger, and reflective of your heart. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would honor our efforts to honor you in our marriages. And so for those marriages that... That, that maybe have been struggling for a while, that, God, you would bring a sense of freshness, a sense of hope, and a sense that things are about to turn a corner because you are present in their lives and in their marriage. And I ask you to do all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.